Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Formula One on One podcast. The 2022 Dutch GP just finished. A little bit of drama at the end. In my opinion, I thought this was going to be a pretty lackluster race after the first 30, 40 laps, and then we saw a lot of crazy stuff happen towards the end. So there is going to be a little bit to discuss, not as much as maybe some other races, but we definitely did still have our fair share of big events towards the last laps of this race. But before we get into that, please follow us on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at F1on1pod. Those are the numbers one. We post graphics for all the races, episode announcements, quality standings, race results, you know, the whole the whole nine yards. And please rate us five stars on wherever you are listening to us on. Sasha, what did you think of the race? Justin, I, I texted uh, you and some others this, but... Man, Mercedes must have been the ones in red today on the pit wall because that final, you know. (laughs) And surprisingly, they weren't even the. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it it wasn't even like they were the ones in red on the pit wall because Ferrari pit wall also was kind of a disaster as well. Ferrari pit wall was not great today. But, you know, the, the clutch strategy or the just, you know, normal taking advantage of situations kind of strategy that Mercedes has had so often this season that I would say that they've executed well on just did not happen today in a position where I think probably this was their best chance as the race evolved for um, not just Mercedes, but also specifically Lewis Hamilton to win a race for the first time this season, 15 rounds in. I mean, Justin, I'm a little disappointed that Mercedes didn't win. I mean, I think, again, it's very, very cool that Max won once again at his home race. It's always fun when you win in front of your home fans or you perform well in front of your home fans. I think it's a great feeling as a as a competitor, as an athlete, as a driver. But, you know, I think, Justin, there's a lot to talk about, especially with that last, what, maybe 25-ish laps of this race, kind of as soon as Yuki Tsunoda... Um, you know, as soon as his whole shamble started with his long pit stop and then what happened immediately after that at before all of that, I mean, you know, there's just a lot to, I think there's a lot to discuss in the, you know, back half of this race, but I think honestly, like a pretty entertaining weekend uh, overall. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's definitely a good amount of things that made a track that isn't built for overtaking uh, and turned it into a pretty decent weekend overall. And obviously, there were some interesting events that we saw in quali between pigeons and flares and a bunch of whatnot. And we are about to get into that, but I wanted to give everyone an update on the two different standings after this weekend going into Monza as the third leg of our triple header for the WDC, Max Verstappen. I mean, he's he's going to win the WDC this year, barring like an actual life or death situation that he has to face. I don't think anyone else can catch up to his 310 points. Now, Charles Leclerc and Checo are tied at 201 points. Charles Leclerc is only ahead, though, on race wins right now, so that could change in the future races. George Russell at 188 and P4. Carlos Sainz now 13 points trailing due to his five-second penalty at the end, which dropped him into P8. He is at 175 points. Now, in the WCC, Red Bull has crossed the 500-point threshold mark. They're at 511 points. Ferrari's at 376. Mercedes gaining some ground this weekend, now only trailing by 30 points again. They're at 346. Alpine gaining some more ground on McLaren, I believe, with 125 to McLaren's 101. Alfa Romeo with 51. Haas with 34. Alfa Tari with 29. Aston Martin only trails Alfa Tari by 4 points with 25 points. And Williams finishes the 
WCC standings out with four points. <laughs> so, you know, not three points anymore. Good, good weekend for them. We saw Alex Albon kind of in the running near the points at the end, but they still only do have four points. And that is how the WCC shapes up going into the final leg of this triple header. Yeah, I mean, Justin, like you said, I don't think there's anyone who can quite really catch up to where Max Verstappen and Red Bull are right now. I think 109 points is, like you said, barring a life or death situation where life and death is probably DNFing in every single race from here through Abu Dhabi. Um, I don't know that Max is really going to have any trouble. I think at this point, it looks more than likely he's going to clinch at Japan following the Japanese Grand Prix. Um, I believe on what, October 9th, if I'm not wrong? Or from, yeah, October 9th. And, you know, obviously fully deserving. I <laughs> He's driven like a man possessed. He's been able to take advantage of Ferrari's miscues. Mercedes haven't been where they were in the last eight years. It was a perfect storm. He's taken advantage of every moment, every opportunity, every race. He's won over two-thirds. He's won exactly two-thirds of all the races. I don't know that you could have asked for much more from a driver this year. Yeah, I just did the math on my calculator, and for either Checo or Charles to catch up to Max from where they are right now with seven races remaining on the calendar, they would need to average 15.6 points ahead of Max every single race through the rest of the year. So yeah, you're right. He quite literally would need to DNF just about every race for that to happen or have some tragedy happen in every race that sends him down to like the lower part of points. And Mm -hmm. with how Red Bull has been since their few shenanigans at the beginning of the year, we have seen them been solid all year. They have been consistent, which is not something I thought I would be saying after, you know, those first three or four races. But the fact of the matter is they just are and Max Verstappen keeps winning. This is his 10th rate. I'm sorry, 10th win in 15 races. So, you know, there's not really much for anyone else to do. I mean, we obviously are seeing the resurgence of some of the other cars. I mean, Checo is not just getting that easy podium anymore. The Mercedes looked very, very good today. I honestly thought we could have seen a double Mercedes podium had it not been for those issues at the end with Lewis and George. And obviously the Ferraris were racing ahead of Checo for the pretty much the majority of the race and would have both finished ahead of Checo had Carlos not had that unsafe release causing him to have a five-second time penalty. But yeah, I mean, like we say every single week, the the championship is just about wrapped up, and now all you can really look at is, you know, those slight differences in the WDC. I mean, second and third is huge. If, if Red Bull finishes P1 and P2 in the WDC, that is very, very impressive, and I'm sure that's what they're gunning for. So um, I guess that's one thing to look at. You know, maybe see if George Russell pulls ahead of one of those drivers going into these last seven races. Obviously, you always have the Mercedes-Ferrari battle that's going on in the WCC. Alpine v. McLaren is still going to be close. And now AlphaTauri and Aston Martin is kind of resurging with only a four-point gap between them. So even though the championships are pretty much decided at this point, I think there are still a lot of things to look forward to in these last seven races. And I personally cannot wait to see how they shape up. Yeah, I think Justin now, I mean, obviously 15 out of 22 races done, I think there's we're we're starting to see, um, or I, I guess we're now starting to get the true understanding, and we're, we're, I think we can make conclusions on which drivers have been underperforming, which drivers have been maybe outperforming their cars, which drivers are kind of just bang on average. You know, I think Justin, <clears throat> you know, maybe something we can do in the off season as a as a review episode, but kind of tier listing all of these drivers. I think it's pretty clear now which drivers are 
and and obviously we can have like some discussion in the context of their car right like obviously Charles Leclerc is going to look great because he's driving a Ferrari or Max is going to look great because he's driving a Red Bull would they look as good in the Williams no but obviously someone like Alex Albon I think has outshone himself or outperformed what has been given to him in a P10 car you know I think it's, it's just interesting to see how the season has progressed. I think the learning curve when it comes to these new regulation cars has been pretty steep for a lot of teams. I mean, obviously, Red Bull and Ferrari looked like they were they hit the ground running, and more respect to them for doing that. They were pretty much the top two car for most of this year, and now Mercedes finally starting to catch up, you know, towards the uh, other half of the summer break on the first end, and now, you know, there's a little bit of shakiness at Spa. There was, you know, some positive signs here this weekend. You know, maybe we'll see something like this again at Monza, but unfortunately, Monza, a very straight, heavy, a very power-heavy circuit. Justin, I'm sure you're looking forward to it as a Red Bull fan. It, it seems like Red Bull are more than primed to uh, to win at Monza, barring any sort of, uh, you know, strategy shambles, which they haven't had this season, or any sort of, you know, safety car shenanigans. Yeah, I mean, that should hopefully be a knockout of the park for them. I know last week in the post-race, Carlos Sainz said that, Maybe Ferrari could have the edge here, but Red Bull will definitely have the edge in Monza. So I definitely am looking forward to that race. Um, And just kind of going off of your other tangent real quick, before we talk about like the weekend as a whole and evaluating drivers and tier listing them, I feel like the hardest is going to be actually evaluating the McLaren drivers because the performances between each of the two, like including this race where you have Lando Norris who finished in P7 and Daniel Ricciardo, who finished in P17, has happened so consistently all year that I cannot tell if Lando Norris is way out driving the car or if Daniel Ricciardo is just really bad in the car. And so I'm not I'm not sure if I should be like, wow, Lando Norris is like an absurd driver. Like the McLaren is not that fast and he is showing everyone like how good he is. Or if it's just like, wow, Daniel Ricciardo cannot drive an F1 car anymore. So when it comes to like actually reviewing them, I think that's going to be the most interesting thing to actually look at because yeah I mean another lackluster performance from Daniel Ricardo again another midpoints finish for Lando Norris it's the same story every single week with McLaren at this point they gotta improve but with all that being said all the tangents aside let's get into the weekend structure there are quite a few things that happened during quali I think you know me and you discussed quite at mm-hmm. length about these flares and the yeah. pigeons so let's let's dive right into it yeah so obviously justin in in past weeks and i guess it's happened mostly at um we saw it at spa we saw it a lot last year especially was max verstappen fans will be bringing these um orange smoke flares into the stands and like yeah i'm not gonna lie to you it looks cool we saw this in austria as well like we saw that cloud of orange smoke kind of enveloping the max verstappen grandstand on the formation lap and while it looks cool, there are a lot of issues here, right? Like that smoke dust can settle on the track, make the track slippery. For drivers, it can hurt their grip. If it gets inside the engine, it can cause issues. It's a breathing hazard for one. I mean, I'm sure it sucks to be breathing in that smoke. I've also read things on Twitter and Reddit saying that um, these smoke flares are, they smell like rotten eggs. And that doesn't sound like a very pleasant smell oh, to me. Oh yeah, I've heard that as well. Yeah, so I like, I get what they're trying to do. Like it looks cool. It adds to the ambiance. On TV, when I'm not at a racetrack, you know, it, it seems fine. Justin, I don't know about you. I am really hoping that when we're at Circuit of the Americas, I'm sure invariably we'll see or maybe smell or experience some of these flares, but I'm really hoping it's nothing like 
um, you know, what we saw at a place like Austria, where it's just a cloud of orange everywhere. Because I don't know, that that feels like it could ruin like the race viewing or the experience of a Grand Prix for a lot of people. Yeah, I I think so as well. I think we're going to be fine. I don't think Coda is going to be as dastardly when it comes to flares. We don't really have a driver that we support as much. And even the other countries that have a driver that they support way more than anyone else, they don't really have these flares. It's a very specifically Dutch and Max fan kind of thing. And while I'm sure there is quite the large Max fan population in America, I doubt we're going to have like a million orange smoke flares and... Even if there are, me and you are going to be in GA anyway, I doubt we're going to have to worry about it too much. I would worry more so about the people in the grandstands who have to deal with it because they can't really move away from it. Mm -hmm. However, all that being said, Quali was quite the interesting, I guess, (laughs) experience. There There was a lot going on in Quali. I mean, Q1, we saw Daniel Ricciardo get eliminated. And I mean, the McLaren pit wall and everyone in inside that garage just looks frustrated at this point and um oh and we didn't even get to talk about this yet because we recorded our formation lap episode the day before oscar piastri got announced for mclaren so yes it is confirmed that for next year oscar piastri will or piastri will be driving for the mclaren f1 team and i think that is going to be a huge step up for them they really need that breath of fresh air it has been i think very tumultuous up to this point in the season with Danny Ricardo and I mean we saw on Saturday in the garage they just look frustrated with his performance he is not getting anything out of the car he doesn't really deserve his seat there anymore and you know that's all there really is to say about Q1 Q2 we saw a few people go out that I guess I wasn't really expecting to which allowed Q3 to feature not only an uh not only an Aston Martin not only a Haas but an AlphaTauri as well so You know, whenever you see cars that are like P7, P8, and P9 in the WCC inside of Q3, you know that like, you know, it's a pretty good season because I feel like in 2021 with the end of the regs, the bottom five would always be like both Haases, both Williams, and then like one of the Alfa Romeos, which wasn't really fun because you knew exactly what was going to happen every time. But now that they have the possibility of getting into Q3, it definitely makes qualifying a little bit more exciting. Now, given those three drivers, Yuki Tsunoda, Mick Schumacher, and Lance Stroll, all did finish in the bottom of Q3, that is kind of exactly what you would expect. And the fact that they made it there, just like, it's it's very promising for their team and for their car and shows that they definitely have the ability to score points or at least start in the top 10. So I think... It's a great result to see it for the fans. And um, yeah, I mean, that's all I have to say. I'm just really glad that we see some of these constructors that are not as well off as the Red Bulls, Ferraris, and Mercedes Mm -hmm. make it into Q3 and show everyone that they do have the pace to compete with everyone else in quality, at least. Yeah, I think it's always interesting when we have those kind of mixed bag qualities. I mean, obviously, as you said, three kind of outsider cars in Q3, only one of them really ended up in the points. I mean, we know that the Aston Martin's race pace is obviously much stronger than its single lap quality pace. So good to see Lance Stroll take that last P10 point. Obviously, Mick and Yuki uh, not in the points today, but still a good effort from them on Saturday. I mean, I think, you know, people will obviously look at points and say, like, it's the only thing that's kind of reflective of a driver's success. I disagree. I think, you know, obviously qualifying performances and how you stack up against your teammate are just as important as 
um, or maybe not just as important, but also a significant factor in your in how people should judge you against your teammate or should judge your performance over the course of a season. I also think it's interesting, Justin, when we look at Q, I, I don't know if this was Q1, Q2. I was sometime during qualifying where um, a fan actually threw one of those smoke flares onto the track. And <laughs> I don't know if you saw these reports that happened afterwards, but apparently like the fan who threw the flare onto the track like immediately got mobbed by a bunch of other fans around them and then that fan got kicked out for the weekend and then got arrested by dutch police so you know i think that's a good outcome i mean like don't just don't be an asshole yeah don't be an asshole when you're at the track um there was also an extended red flag period for pigeons on the track. And then there was a really funny uh, bit on the cameras where I believe it was David Croft and um, Jensen Button just talking over or commentating over this marshal who was chasing pigeons off the track. Um, a little more morbidly, Justin, I don't know if you saw this, but... Um, Did Teo Porcher? Yeah, Teo Porcher's... Um, yeah, like that was cam, crazy. How he impaled a pigeon and then uh, on Saturday, and then people were wondering, like, is Alf, or like is his car allowed to remove that? Because like it's an alteration to downforce and would be like a violation of Park Ferme conditions. Um, I really don't... I didn't watch F2 this morning, but I don't think Teo Porcher started the race with a decomposing pigeon on his um, <laughs> on his exhaust cap. Yeah, I know that, you know, FIA regulations are quite literally to the word and you have to follow it exactly. <laughs> but um, I think if I was the race director, I wouldn't make an exception to <laughs> yeah. remove a pigeon yeah. from the car. I mean, I'm sure you saw the picture as well. It was like yeah. quite gruesome. And yeah. don't look it up if you are faint of heart because, you yeah. know, I looked at it and it was like it, it was captioned with like, don't look at it if you're like squeamish or anything, which I'm pretty squeamish about blood and all that kind of stuff so i wish i didn't look at it because yeah you're right the car quite literally impaled the bird it reminded me of when i think it was nolan ryan or randy johnson a pitcher from like way long ago in the mlb mm. like threw a fastball as a dove was flying by and it hit the dove oh. and a bunch of white feathers just exploded <sighs> no. everywhere and yeah it's crazy it's crazy so poor birds they get they get destroyed in this sport sometimes so <laughs> Oh, yeah. man, that was hard to look at. I wish I didn't have to. But yeah. um, just some other quality things. What did you think of that that last lap when there was like, you know, 20 seconds left? Everyone was on their final laps. Max puts in a time 200s ahead of Leclerc and the two Mercs mm -hmm. are out doing their flying laps. And obviously, we don't know what they're capable of. And they seem to look good through sector one. But then Checo spins right near the end and then compromises their their two laps. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, there will be those people on Twitter and social media who are saying like, oh, it's Spingate, Checo was instructed to do this. I mean, the Mercedes did look good throughout qualifying, I think. Um, they were able to fire up their tires. They were driving well. I mean, personally, I think, you know, in the moment, I do think Lewis might have been able to snatch pole or George might have been able to snatch pole. Checo was improving through his first two sectors, so I don't necessarily know that that would have been a possibility. I think if you look at also the mini sector timings on the, at least from what I had on F1 TV on the little data channel thing, it didn't really look like um, Lewis was putting in good enough of a sector two um, to, I guess, challenge for pole. I think the second row was probably his his limit, and obviously he did start on the second row today. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think that there's anything like there's anything more to it than that right i mean drivers have accidents in qualifying i mean what didn't this is exactly what happened in monaco right perez spins at a corner and then max is denied a lap or someone is denied a lap like 
drivers make mistakes. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it sucks. It is what it is. I mean, let's not act like Zonvort and that banked turn 13, 14 corner isn't difficult to take. Like, it's there's been dust on the track. We saw, actually, at that exact spot, Sebastian Vettel, he couldn't get grip in turn that first right-hander of turn 13, and he went on into the gravel, and that's why he was knocked out in Q1. But, you know, obviously, we saw his teammate Lance Stroll make it into Q3 this weekend. Like... The track, it's just kind of like a track-dependent like dependent thing, right? I don't think this is anything deeper than Checo making a mistake and the Mercs getting compromised. Like, it, it's happened in other parts of other races. You know, we'll talk about the VSE and the eventual safety car today. Like, it happens. It, it is what it is. Like, it's frustrating, definitely, as someone who wants competitive um, qualifying, but it happens. It is what it is. Yeah, I mean, they still ended up being able to occupy lewis hamilton was what in the second row george russell was in the third row i believe because yeah lewis qualified like fourth or something and george was p6 or i actually don't remember where george qualified however the race started off just about as you would expect with max running away almost immediately and i would like to flex the fact that i was able to perfectly sync the driver cam for max with my main feed broadcast like literally down to like almost frame perfect so it's a lot nicer being able to watch it like that than to watch the live f1 Mm -hmm. tv with the broadcast from youtube tv because there's more of a delay on youtube tv Mm. so i always have to try and sync it up otherwise i see what max is doing like 10 seconds ahead of time so it was nice getting like the lights lined up perfectly and them starting at the same time very cool stuff but yeah like i said right away max max gets his lead he jumps right ahead of charles had a much better start and then by the time we even got to like DRS being activated, he was over a second clear. So Charles couldn't even think about that. Now, the one thing that I think I want you to delve into, because you are always very apt to how teams are running their strategies and you're the one keeping me updated with what every team is doing. Every single front runner was on softs, except for the Mercs who were both on mediums. Now, how did that play out for them? You think, um, did the Ferraris start on softs as well? Yeah, yeah. Everyone except the Mercs, I think. Uh, okay, well, okay, well, Mercedes' medium strategy has always kind of been like a, like I guess their thing has always been this um, like alternate strategy to kind of gain track position. Um, they always try to put in longer first stints and then make up the time once they're in clear air uh, after the cars ahead of them pit, and then they can you know build a gap and then try to pull some sort of like overcut strategy. the The important thing to note this weekend was that. Going into the race, Max Verstappen was the only driver with a fresh set of softs, a set of softs that he actually, um, you know, came up with to start the race. But what ended up happening was that he actually locked up Justin going into his grid spot. So there was like a little bit of a flat spot on his front left tire. Um, You know, I think it's interesting to see how dominant he was i mean this is obviously like a great thing about qualifying right like you get your 13 sets of tires for the weekend amongst the three practice sessions qualifying on the race and somehow the red bull strategy team was able to engineer a way where max went into the race with a new set of softs on, t- on which he started yeah i'm looking at it now um yeah max and the two ferraris did start on uh softs so you know i think it's interesting because we saw how high the tire degradation was also um throughout the weekend um 
I, and this is something we can also talk about, Justin, where like the the hard tire ended up being this kind of uh, holy grail, so to speak. I mean, we saw initially the the two Mercedes were going to do a one stop strategy. They went a little long on their medium stint, and then they were going to make up the time on the second stint. We also saw George Russell talking about how fast the track was rubbering in. I mean. Zonvoort, it's a short lap. Lots of rubber gets laid down in the in the key places. The the downside is that there's a lot of gravel, there's a lot of sand, there's a lot of dust. So if you're off the racing line, it's a little difficult, and your tires can get dirty. Um, you can lose a lot of time there. But I think, like in terms of strategy, like it's fine. I mean, <laughs> we can talk about. I guess we can take this time to talk about the the Ferrari and, um, or I guess just the strategy in general, right? Because I think this was one of the more dynamic races we've had. I mean, what Max pitted four times, if I'm not wrong, because he had his initially planned two stop and then pitted under VSC, pitted under this full safety car. Um, yeah, I think it, just a very like dynamic race overall. Um, a lot of quick thinking had to happen. I mean, you know, more props to Hannah Schmitz is, I believe, how you pronounce her last name, head of strategy or race engineering, I believe race strategy at Red Bull. Um, she's always on the pit wall, always just these like cool breakdowns. Like, you know, they, I think, again, this is just another strong aspect of Red Bull, right? Like they're, they know how to be champions. They know how to respond to these situations. And surprisingly, we always say that Mercedes know how to do this. And today they just didn't somehow. I mean, we, we all heard how angry Lewis Hamilton was on the radio, something that we never really see. I mean, we'll we'll obviously yeah. hear things like frustration or, you know, moments of exasperation, but nothing kind of like how he lashed out at his engineers today. And I think even lashing out is maybe a strong word for what he said. I mean, obviously, heated moment. You were, I, I think we can all agree that Lewis Hamilton probably was on to win this race until the, the shenanigans caused by the virtual safety car and safety car period. But, you know, it, it happens in F1. I mean, I'm sure like, you know, <laughs> I mean, Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes are no stranger to safety cars hurting their their strategy and their eventual race winning ambitions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was definitely tough to have to watch them go through that. And one of the most questionable things at the end of the race was watching George Russell pit and pretty much giving Max P2 right behind Lewis in the safety car while Max was on new softs and Lewis was on some used mediums. I mean, a tail quite literally as old as time. And so, <laughs> uh, see, here, here's the thing I struggle with, right? Because if you leave George Russell out there on the mediums and Max, like, eats him like he did Lewis in the first two or three corners, Max is going to catch up to Lewis in those last 10 laps. Like, it's just going to happen with how fast his car is. I mean, Charles Leclerc got past them both, so why wouldn't it have Max? So I guess in retrospect, it's like maybe you should have just brought Lewis in and hoped for the best because I honestly feel like leaving him out just for the slight chance of, like, everyone behind him not being able to catch up could have been bad. But also, then you can... <sighs> there See, there's so many what-ifs because you could also be like, well, what if George Russell stayed out there? But he defended like Checo did at Abu Dhabi and gained Lewis like 10, 11 seconds somehow. I don't know how he would have done it. He would have had to park around every apex, but he could have done it. Like it's not an impossible task for him. He is a very good driver. He's a very good defensive driver. So it wouldn't have been surprising if he was able to pull off something like that. That being said, it didn't happen. So you have to look at what did happen. And what yeah. did happen was they left Lewis out to dry. And obviously George got the P2, but... Like, Lewis just was absolutely screwed over in this race. There was nothing he could have done that would have made it better. I mean, if you're going to pit George there, you also have to pit Lewis because there's no 
there's no excuse to not pit him yeah. when you're just going to have the person who has the fastest car in the on the track. He has new soft tires while your front running car that is not as fast as the car behind you is on old mediums for like 13 laps as well. And I know I know Zanvor isn't great for overtaking, but we know that Max can overtake anywhere. So does it really matter when like contending for the race lead when you know you're just going to get absolutely swallowed or even if you do give your driver the chance he's going to have the most difficult like run at defending p1 that you may ever see like yeah it just it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me yeah i mean like i guess the i guess the counter argument to that is right like even the virtual safety car that was triggered by Yuki Tsunoda's um, DNF at turn four, I think that was honestly fine for Mercedes, right? Like, obviously, Verstappen pitted. I believe, what, Hamilton overtook during the virtual safety car period, and I think there was, like, a net gain of about four seconds. There was a gap for about four seconds for Lewis Hamilton. And then I think once Hamilton pitted, then there was that whole instance with Sebastian Vettel, right, for ignoring the blue flags and you know, in the space of two laps, Lewis Hamilton lost somewhere between three and four seconds is what the Sky Sports broadcast was saying, you know, with his battle with Checo. I mean, obviously, Checo locked up going into the Tarzan corner. And then, you know, they pushed Lewis a little wide, obviously still gave him enough space. And then, you know, Sebastian Vettel on the next lap has just completely messed up Lewis's, um, you know, pace, rhythm, momentum. And I, again, it's just another one of those what ifs, right? Like, what if Sebastian Vettel was a second later in the pits? What if Lewis Hamilton never had to move past him? What if Sergio Perez never locked up? You know, I think the biggest takeaway here is that, like, the having that gap to Max Verstappen and having a car to Max Verstappen is fine. Like, like you said, who knows if George would have pulled off that defensive job? I mean, I think... Even if you're on old mediums defending on a car with, or like slightly used mediums on a car with slightly newer softs, like, I think if you're Lewis Hamilton, you would have much rather forced Max to overtake George and then himself as compared to, oh, Max is right behind me on new tires coming out of a safety car restart on a banked corner where he's going to get a toe all the way around and then he's going to slingshot. Because, Justin, I know we've played both played the game and we obviously just have an understanding of how physics works, like... The way you can shoot out of that banked corner at turn 14 right onto the straight, and especially when you have a slipstream, like, I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> I don't know that there's anything Lewis Hamilton could have done better um, when it comes to, like, potentially defending that position he had. Yeah, it's called he should have pit for softs, but yeah. <laughs> pit wolf yeah. messed it up, and there's nothing he could have done. And, like, Oh, I feel for him. And the thing I was thinking about the whole time was you picking Lewis Hamilton to win this race. And I was like, wow, did he really call this? And then <laughs> like a quite rare, very large Mercedes pit mistake is what ended up costing him. And obviously, again, mm -hmm. cannot guarantee that he would have won. But it is very weird to see Mercedes making this kind of mistake and not like Ferrari, because obviously Ferrari had their fair share of screw ups this race between Carlos Sainz's first pit stop being 12.7 seconds and leaving the wheel gun out for Checo to run over mm -hmm. and then not having the tire ready, which is what caused the pit stop to be that long. And then later in the race during, I think it was maybe the safety it car, was a safety car period, that yeah. he, Carlos Sainz pit again, and then they unsafely release him, which I think that it also had happened earlier in the weekend where Sainz got unsafely released or someone did, um, but, oh, no, it was Norris, I think, during one of the quality sessions that got uh, released unsafe. But still, like, oh, my God, you cannot have an unsafe release 
during a pit at like during a safety car at the very end of the race. Because here's the thing, like there's now no gap between the cars and that is a five second penalty. So like if it happens at the end of the race where you're already way ahead of everyone else, sure. But I think signs dropped from like fifth to eighth as a result because mm-hmm. all the cars were bunched up. So the difference between like fifth and eighth was less than five seconds. So yeah. he obviously drops down there and I'm like, wow, that's like an absolutely horrendous mistake to make. Like I wouldn't risk an unsafe release just for one position because you ended up losing three out of it. So just an overall yeah. disaster for Ferrari on that front. At least Charles had, I think, a pretty good race strategy. The car wasn't up to it this weekend, I don't think. But all of his stops were like under three seconds. He seemed to have good control. I didn't see many complaints from him, at least not on the broadcast. So I will give them that at least Charles had a pretty decent race. But I mean, it's Ferrari, so at least one of their drivers has to have a bad weekend, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, the fact that they had signs sitting for what was basically 13 seconds in the pit box, <laughs> waiting for the rear left tire to just be brought out. Um, you know, I guess to play devil's advocate, I mean, the Zonvoort pit lane is notably much tighter and narrower than a lot of other pit lanes we have at circuits. I mean, again, not justifying what Ferrari did, that pit uh that like what wheel gun is that what it's called uh, like screw gun i don't know what it's called like the thing that that one mechanic uses. yeah like yeah it should never have been sitting where it was um ferrari are almost certainly going to be fined as a result of that um as for unsafe releases i mean come on like they're they're an experienced pit crew like is, is it gonna happen every once in a while sure i mean the mercedes pit crew the red bull pit crew like no one's completely perfect but it was egregious, and especially, like you said, during a safety car period, like, it just seems like there's so much wrong. Like, look, Justin, this is, again, right, like a crazy instance. Last week, Ferrari get a five-second penalty when it comes to something pit-related. This weekend, another five-second penalty for something pit-related. Like, it just seems like anything that they can mess up, like, Justin, I know we always quote this, but the, there's this, that Stephen A. Smith clip, right, where he's talking about the Utah Jazz and how they're just not good in the playoffs, and it's genuinely the same thing here. Like, we want to like the like the team at Ferrari, but they're just, it's so hard to support them. They constantly invent and engineer ways to lose and throw away race-winning positions or, like, strong points-performing finishes, right? Like, please explain to me, Justin, how at a track like Zandvoort, their cars that we know are good in these slow technical tracks, they start 2-3 and then end the race in 3-8. Like, <laughs> how how is that possible? Like, it just, it it truly boggles my mind that, like, this is something that Scuderia Ferrari is capable of. Like, man, I, I don't know. I, like, death taxes and Ferrari mess-ups. Death taxes and Ferrari mess-ups. The only three things yeah. gu- guaranteed in life every F1 yeah. weekend. It's, it's you're right. I mean, three and eight is, a, is an awful performance, especially when it looked like they were ahead of the Mercedes in the beginning of the race. So I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be them gaining more ground in the WCC, trying to cement the P2 spot, going to help them gain some extra money for their development. And now, again, storming back every single race. And Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure Mercedes is fairly competent in the straight as they normally are. So Monza could be an issue for Ferrari. And like 30 points with seven races left? I mean, I'm no mathematician, but let's see. That's only 4.28 points they have to outscore Ferrari by. 
and the remaining seven races. And Mm -hmm. with how things have been going recently, especially since the summer break and these first two races, um, I do think Mercedes is capable of it. Obviously, Ferrari outscored them in Spa, and Mercedes now outscored them here in Zonvor. But I think these last few races are going to be very indicative of the pit wall and the strategy themselves and who can perform well under crunch time. And I think we both know the answer to who can perform better as a pit wall under crunch time. And in case you can't get my obvious statement, it is not Ferrari. Okay. It is not them. (laughs) They are not them. Mercedes are them. I it's, it's okay. We'll see in Monza next week. I'm excited that we have a triple header so we can at least like get answers Mm -hmm. to all my questions right away about whether Ferrari or Mercedes are going to be the ones to, I guess, really have the successful end of seasons Mm -hmm. because I really feel like the end of this triple header is going to tell us who's going to end up winning the WCC. I don't know why. I just feel like whoever performs better at Monza is going to be the ones to to pull through because then like my mindset is either Mercedes is ahead and then they're like very minimally behind Ferrari, which gives them all the motivation they need to power through the end of the season or Ferrari outscore Mercedes, and it's like, wow, 50 points is going to be like unattainable in six races. So uh, this is a very big race next week, I think, for that battle specifically. And it'll be very interesting to see how the teams adapt to it. And maybe, I I wonder if we're going to see teams like those two teams not worry uh, about Red Bull as much because they're just going to be worried about beating each other. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, as much as you want to like focus on winning justin if you're ferrari probably like you have what what do we have seven races i'm counting right and you have a let's do some quick maths right now a 135 point difference in the um in the world constructors championship so 135 that is um wow that's more than three one twos with both red bulls dnfing (laughs) yeah yeah um well, that's life, dude. That's life. Yeah. Um, I think right now, absolutely, you know, Ferrari should be focused on Mercedes. They should be focusing on defending their P2. Because I don't know when we discussed this, Justin, but, you know, if Ferrari finish P3, which is exactly where they were last year, meaning, you know, at the end of the year, there's no appreciable improvement in the constructor standings. What does that mean for them as a team? I mean, I think like, if they finish P3 again, do you think Mattia Binotto gets fired? Like, is is that what it is? Like, he has to be P2 to have I a job? I think so, yeah. Okay. I Even if he finishes P2, I don't know, yeah. because of, like, ooh, it, it's been a very publicly embarrassing season for Ferrari, and mm-hmm. they're one of those teams that is very protective of their brand. They're very historic. I mean, it's such a huge part of Italian culture, and it's obviously a fully Italian-run team. They take a lot of pride in what they do, and after a season like this with this many screw-ups, there has to be a fall, man. And unfortunately, I do think it's going to be Mattia Binotto. And if they finish P3, like I feel like it would be near instantaneously at the end of the season that we find this out. And if he stays there just because of his longevity, then like, sure, good job, Ferrari, for like um, standing behind your men. But oof, it's, uh, it's definitely a bad look for them right now. They're kind of the lacking stock of the F1 community, despite being P2 in the WCC, which is definitely not the look you want as a constructor. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, <laughs> they just don't know how to win, Justin. I mean, I think 
not having won any title since 2008, having to wait over a decade, nearly a decade and a half for something like this to fall into their hands. I mean, they've clearly lost it. I think it'll take them some time to relearn it. Who knows? Maybe next year we're having the exact inverse conversation. Maybe we're saying, oh my God, look how great Ferrari are. Yay, Charles Leclerc dominating on his way to his first WDC. Probably not, but who knows? Um, I guess just kind of moving on to like the other main part of this race, Justin, or like the other like cataclysmic event was the virtual safety car triggered by Yuki Tsunoda pulling off to the side of the track at turn four. Um, this was like really weird where like he initially stopped and like started screaming about like his tires not being on properly. Then he came on, like he came back into the pits driving very slowly. And then like the team told him that all of his tires were on properly. And then they spent about like 40 seconds just like fiddling with his seatbelt in his seat. And then they let him keep going. And then four corners later, he DNF'd like, <laughs> I'm at like a loss for like how did they not pick this up when he was sitting in the pit box and they were like okay we'll just retire the car because like I don't know this this like whole thing also you know Justin brought up a conversation about does there need to be changes to the VSC system um where like you know currently the VSC what it does it just neutralizes the race drivers have to slow by 40% gaps are maintained um you know, I I am not a huge fan personally of the VSC. I think that there should be some sort of a, like amendment where the VSC doesn't exist and they basically put out double waved yellows and um, like extend the section of track that is flagged off um, so that there's like a longer entry period or like longer slowdown period and a longer like speed up period, so to speak. Um, kind of going in and out of that zone or like the incident zone. I feel like the VSC today especially kind of messed up the race a lot. And again, that's not to say that like we shouldn't have these kinds of safety precautions. Like absolutely we should have. I think the full safety car is like an absolutely great thing in F1, right? Like slowing the pack, bunching it together so that when there's an incident on track, it can be cleared like Botas getting out of the way today. But, you know, I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts on all of this shambles? Yeah, when the weirdest part to me was this was towards, I guess, like the middle slash end of the race. And when Yuki came in for the second time and they were fiddling with a seatbelt, like you said, for like 40 seconds. Why do they not just DNF the car at that point? I mean, it, it definitely raises a lot of questions. I'm no conspiracy theorist, but it was just very, very interesting that he, they let him go back out only for him to just pull over four corners later, like you said. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, there's there's a lot of work that needs to be done when it comes to the VSCs because I feel like the, the, obviously the difference between a VSC and a full safety car is massive. But ugh, it's it's just weird that like they let Yuki go out knowing that he probably wasn't going to finish the race mm-hmm. and was already like a full lap down on everyone else by that point. And then like the other one was with Baltas stopping literally at the end of the main straight and it took like one and a half laps before they actually pulled a safety car out there yeah. that was absurd yeah and then we obviously saw like the science Ocon incident where science overtook in the yellow flag but like he didn't actually overtake and then like i don't know there was like some jockeying for that position there i mean honestly just like a lot of weirdness personally i think which is not great i mean i think that safety car should have been out instantly the moment botas dnf down that main straight i mean like that car is stopped on track. It's nowhere near a, you know, Marshall post or an exit kind of thing. Like, 
that safety car should have been out instantly. I mean, like, I honestly just think that's, like, grounds for a red flag, if we're being really honest. Like, where Botas was parked, like, that's a very, very dangerous part of the track. Like, drivers are barreling down. He was, like, on the inside of turn one, where a lot of drivers will either try to defend or make moves, right? Like, I, I don't know. It's just, like, like... I thought we were excited about having new race directors, but this was not like a great race when it came to when it came to like race direction from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not too sure what they were doing. I I wish there was like a stewards debrief at the end of all this so we could hear their thought process and mm-hmm. review of like everything that went down between like uh hearing about the unsafe release to Checo running over the wheel gun to the VSC with Yuki to uh the the Baltas main straight stop that took so long for a safety car to come out like that could have been really bad because there was a point where i forget who signs was passing i think it was one of the alpines and he like slotted himself between baltas and the alpine to like make the overtake and i was like that is so ridiculously unsafe that like there obviously it was yellow flagged by then but the fact that that was even like that close is pretty terrifying for baltas because he was at a standstill and he would have had to absorb all of the impact but yeah, I mean, like I said, all the drama for this race came at the very, very end. Like there wasn't much in the beginning and there wasn't too much to comment on about the midfield. I mean, Alpine had a pretty good showing. Um, Lando Norris finishing in the points is solid. Lance Stroll, I don't think he ended up finishing in the points. Seb obviously did not. Lance Stroll Baltas got P10. did not. Oh, Lance Stroll got P10. Okay, good for Aston Martin. I mean... It's it's always good for like one of those lower WCC teams when they can score a point. But like, congrats to Max. He he drove a great race as always, and obviously he was aided by I guess the mismanagement of strategy from mm-hmm. the other two contenders for this race. So I wouldn't say this was like a masterclass from Max, but more of a what's the opposite? Not not even a disaster class, but just like a less than optimal race from everyone else. No, I mean, that, Max, Max took like, and, and an opportunity like, he was I given. I feel like that's, yeah. And I feel like that's the story of the season, right? Is that if you do not have the perfect, most optimal, most amazing strategy that you can follow to the T exactly as you planned it, then you're probably not going to beat the Red Bull this season, which is unfortunate because it doesn't really promote the greatest racing, but it's true. Like that car is so good and Max is so good in it that, you quite literally need perfection in order to beat him and them right now. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I, yeah, Max obviously drove well. I mean, I don't think he was ever going to be off the podium at the very least. I mean, obviously, there was a long period where we thought Lewis Hamilton was going to be on for this race win, his first race win, Mercedes' first race win this season. But, you know, he took advantage of a strategy fumbling and he won the race. I mean, like, that's what you got to do in F1, right? Like, Lots of times when opportunities will arise. I mean, like, you know, when both Mercedes collided and crashed out in Spain in 2016, you think Max Verstappen cared? No, he took advantage of an opportunity he was given and he won his first ever Grand Prix. He's the youngest Grand Prix winner of all time. You know, you think Esteban Ocon is going to complain when he looks back at Hungary in 2021 and asks, oh, like, huh, wow, I really wish Botas wasn't a bowling ball that day. No, absolutely not, right? Like, (laughs) you think Pierre Gassi is going to be upset that Lewis Hamilton went into the pits in 2020 when the pit lane was closed and got a penalty? No. I mean, you know, like we say, the circumstances of a win never really matter, and you have to take advantage of opportunities when they're given to you, and that's exactly what Max and Red Bull did today. So credit to them. Yeah, now I think we can move on to 
Our segments, driver of the day, me and you agree. This has to go to George Russell. Absolutely. Started in the third row of the grid in P6, finished in P2. It's his highest finish of the season. I mean, he's inching closer and closer to his first win, and I'm super excited to see when that finally happens. And obviously, it did help with what happened at the end, like we mentioned, but still, a P2 is a P2 no matter the circumstances that got you there. So great job by him. I mean, he's really proving that he deserves this seat, and I expect to see him in it for many years to come. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the best way to put it, right? I mean, he did pretty much everything right. I mean, I don't think, like, there's any going to be any bad blood between him and Lewis Hamilton when it comes to the strategy error that happened at the end of the race, giving George the softs and, you know, moving him out of the way. I mean, it. yeah, I, I mean, you know, like you said, George Russell consistently proving himself. I mean, again, what? This is... Yeah, in a ra- any races that George Russell has finished, he hasn't finished below P5. And in his last, uh, yeah, he hasn't finished lower than P4 in the last, uh, since Baku. He only DNF'd in Britain. So to think about that kind of consistency is absolutely crazy. He's, you know, leveling up. He's showing why he deserved to get that Mercedes seat. Like you said, hope to see him in there for a long, long time. Um, I guess moving next on to our, oh, sorry, continue. Oh, no, no. Yeah, I was just going to move on to the next segment as well. Yeah. It's so difficult recording over over Discord with the slight <laughs> delay between yeah, our mics, yeah. but it's it's fine. Yeah, um, I guess our next segment then, pick up the pace, Justin. I was looking at this. Alfa Romeo have not scored points since the Canadian Grand Prix, and I think we have let this slide for just a little bit too long. You know, I think they've been plagued by reliability and obviously issues out of their control. I mean... Botas has now two DNFs on the bounce. I mean, last week it was because of Latifi being an idiot. This week it was because of the Ferrari power unit crapping out on him. It's not his fault. It, like, it's not his fault, but like at some point, Alfa Romeo as a team, you need to figure it out. Um, you need to figure out something that works. You need to figure out a way to force this car into the points. I mean, they're Zhou Yu. They were good at the, they were very good at the beginning of the season. They were. And exactly. like they've just fallen apart since. Exactly. And you know, Zhou Yu has proven himself. I mean, I think he's going to get that contract again for 2023. Botas is obviously already on a multi-year deal, right? Like, there's nothing more you can really ask of them as drivers. Just, like, please let them drive. Like, (laughs) for lack of a better way of putting it, right? Like, I don't know. They just deserve better. But uh, still, they need to pick up up the pace. No points since July. It's been, it's almost been, what, two and change. It's almost been two months since they last scored points, like. Oh, it's been over two months since they last scored points. What am I talking about? But yeah, that Canada was that long ago. Jeez, that's really tough for them. Yeah, it's not great. But um, I think that's my pick up the pace. I don't know if you had any other anything else to add. I mean, uh, I guess Ferrari pick up the pace on getting your your wheels to the <laughs> to the pit stop when you're going to do a pit stop. But they were also talking about on the main broadcast how. That might not even be the mechanic's fault. That could be the engineer's fault for telling them to box and the mechanics didn't have Mm -hmm. enough time to get ready. Like, Mm -hmm. obviously, this is a sport with many people who have to be organized and do the right thing. Like, you can't just blame it on the person who makes the mistake if there's a person behind them who tells them to do something too late. So, obviously, we don't have the communication between the pit wall and the mechanics. But, like, we never know if that's the reason that that wheel wasn't ready. So... I, I will say that they, they sort of need to pick up the pace as well. But yeah, Alfa Romeo for sure. I mean, not scoring points in nearly two months, even with the summer break. Um, three weeks sandwiched in there is not great. And 
We know that Valtteri Bottas can score points in the car. He did at the beginning of the season. We know that Joe Guan Yu did. I mean, he scored points in his debut. So hopefully they figure out something too and can score some points here because I don't think Haas is going to catch up to them. I mean, Haas is 17 points behind them in P7 right now. But I mean, the thing is, you never know. Like, all it takes is like one really weird race and a Haas to finish P5 and suddenly this is going to come down to the wire. So yeah, for sure. Alfa Romeo need to pick it up and score some points to kind of pad their safety net in P6. Yeah. Um, and I think, Justin, it's a good, you know, your mention of Ferrari or in a, a bit ago was it's a good transition to Brad of the Week here. Ferrari pit crew is absolutely a Brad of the Week. How do you not have all four wheels yeah. ready? How do you take that long? How do you leave the pit like the screw gun or like the yeah like the tire gun sitting out there? And then how do you unsafely release science? Like you're just truly like they they made a mess of his weekend, frankly. And <laughs> I don't know if we talked about this, but that radio message where Carlos Science just went, "Oh my god," um, when he was sitting in the pits, like it's. I think they're slowly becoming aware that they're all a meme now, and that is really really troubling for Ferrari, but. Hopefully they improve, and I know we say that every week, and it's looking less and less likely, but hopefully they improve at some point. Yeah, I agree. I don't think there's anything else to say. They deserve it. It wasn't a great weekend for them. Never really is. Yeah, yeah. I guess we can move straight into our weekend podium. For bronze, I think think I'm going to still give bronze to the Mercedes team just because gaining points on... Ferrari in the WCC is still massive, even while they didn't get the race result they wanted. It is still very important to them for these last few races. So I do think they are deserving of some praise because we really saw that they are finally picking things up. I mean, some people are already forgetting the beginning of the season when they were not even remotely competitive and they were way behind Ferrari. And now they're catching up and people don't seem to remember how far behind they were at one point. Mm So Good on them for only being 30 points behind, and I'm super thrilled to see how they react in Monza and what they do in these remaining seven races. Yeah, I I totally agree. I think for Silver, Justin, I'm going to give it to Alpine this weekend. Great performance from them. Starting 12 and 13 on the grid, ended up in P6 for Fernando Alonso and P9 for Esteban Ocon. I believe this is Ocon or uh, Alonso's 10th scored points, like 10th race in a row with points. Obviously, we know what Esteban Ocon brings in terms of consistency. I think, you know, the fact that they are now pulling away from McLaren for that P4 and the constructors battle is really, really great. Just a testament to how well their drivers have been doing. The way they're always in that kind of lower half of the points battle is truly, truly remarkable. And I think it's just, you know, whenever we can give them credit, I feel like we maybe don't talk about them as much as we can. Maybe we have just because of the Oscar Piastri drama in the last few weeks, but Whenever we can give them credit for their great driving and consistency throughout the races, uh, I definitely think we should. So silver on the podium this weekend for them. Yeah, gold for the podium for me. This might be a bit of an unconventional pick, but I'm going to give it to Lando Norris for giving McLaren some hope that they can get P4 in the constructors because without him, they would have been so far behind at this point. Like, let me let me check real quick how many points uh lando has it looks like he is at 82 points of how many points does mclaren have right now mclaren has 101 points so he has contributed about 82 percent of their points which is quite absurd when Mm -hmm. you think about it when he scores um nearly he has four points out of every mclaren's five that's pretty awful and (laughs) without him they would not even be remotely close to alpine 
So I want to give him some credit for at least keeping them alive in that race. Like they still have a chance. 24 points isn't that much. So hopefully Daniel Ricardo can get some points for them and give McLaren the boost they need. But yeah, Lando Norris deserves some praise for keeping them even remotely in that area because without him, they would be among the bottom feeders right now. Yeah, I totally agree. Lando, obviously a big, big shining spot in what has been perhaps a little bit of a black hole of a season for McLaren. And hopefully that continues next year. Hopefully the introduction of Oscar Piastri into the lineup also kind of fires Lando up, fires up the whole team. Hopefully they'll be back fighting for that, you know, P4, P3 position in the Constructors' Championship um, going forward. But yeah, I guess, Justin, we can look into our points update. Um you had a very strong weekend. I was close to having a very strong weekend. And I think as a result of this weekend, you have actually overtaken me in the point standing. So why don't you take us through our uh, where we are right now? Yeah, so currently the score is 447 to 435. I'm leading you. Now, the one thing I did forget to do is tally up the points from Hungary because we never did that. And I said I was going to do it last week, but I haven't yeah. done it. I'll get it done eventually. <laughs> by the, by our end of season episode, everything will be accounted for. And you also had like Vettel plus Ocon points in Hungary. So it might actually be closer than 447 mm. to 435. But for right now, um, we are an unorganized podcast. We don't do this professionally. So you're going to have to <laughs> deal with our slight mishaps and, and conundrums. But I predicted Verstappen for Poland race win pretty easy choices for me i honestly don't even know why you're not going with this every single week you might just have to switch up your strategy at this point but that gave me plus 10 on both of those then we asked are both merc cars going to finish in the top five i said yes i get plus 10 points for those i predicted that alex albon would finish in p14 he ended up finishing in p12 so for being two places off i got three points now sash you predicted that leclerc would get pulled that did not happen you predicted a Hamilton race win. That could have happened, but it didn't. No points there. You did get the 10 points for both Merck cars finishing in the top five. And you predicted Alex Albon finishing in P12, which is exactly where he ended up finishing. So you did get 10 points from that. But like I said, as of right now, with our current tally, I am leading you by 12 points, 447 to 435 going into the final leg of this triple header after the summer break. But with that being said, this has been an extremely enjoyable episode, everyone. I hope you had as much fun as we did. Follow us on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at F1on1pod. Please rate us five stars on wherever you are listening to us on. And we will see you guys on Thursday for the final formation lap of the triple header with the Monza formation lap. And I am super thrilled. It's one of my favorite tracks. We get great races there all the time. Lots of drama, lots of racing, great places to overtake. Super, super fast. So we will see you guys then. Peace. Have a good one, guys.